or sending church. And it's uh, one of the things though someone asked, how are you liking the city? And uh, we're, we're getting used to it, but I will admit, um, we're not used to the cold as much anymore. We got so we acclimated down. It's a little warmer um, out there in Albuquerque. But uh, before I move any further, Santi asked me if I had a dad joke. And so I've always did dad jokes, and so I had one prepared. And so it's a corny joke, but it's okay. Uh, what is the best housewarming gift? A space heater. Housewarming. You need a space heater. So there you go. Amen. And so there's your dad joke for you, Dante. I knew you like that. So amen. But um, it's a blessing to come back and to see um, familiar faces and also some new faces. And so that's always exciting. And uh, just a, a bit of a testimony, as you know, we set out to plant uh, the Cottonwood Baptist Church. It's a part of Albuquerque that um, has about 100,000 people and in need of a church. And so we were getting ready to move forward with that. But one of the things I had set out to do was to get some things in order with our family, which we're working through and on. And so we didn't launch the church immediately. And in the process of a few months, the church that I was saved at, the pastor resigned. And uh, just to make a long story short, um, they were in need of pulpit supply. And so about June or July, around that time, they started asking me at the church to preach. Um, you know, so I'd go and preach on a Sunday and then go about and do our thing, just what we're planning on doing. And um, I said, you know, I think God might be in this, but I'm not going to pursue them because at one point I did apply to be the pastor several years ago. And it was just kind of a mix-up of things and, and so forth. And I don't think God wanted us there at the time. But I said, I'm not going to pursue them. If God wants us to be in that ministry, um, as the, the Bible says in, in the book of Acts 13, um, that uh, whenever Paul and Silas or Paul and, uh, Saul and Barnabas were in the church of Antioch, that the Holy Spirit said to the church, separate unto me Saul and Barnabas unto the work when to have called them. And I said, if the Holy Spirit can tell the church to send a person out, um, the Holy Spirit can tell the church to bring a person in. So I'm not going to pursue them one bit. And I just said, God, if you want this to happen, um, they will, the Holy Spirit will, your spirit speak to them. And, uh, and he did. Amen. People were asking me by the last few times I was preaching, will you be our pastor and, and so forth? And I said, you need to go through the proper authority because at the time they didn't have a pastor, they had a deacon. And we need to run things through the deacon. And uh, we did, and we did all things decently and in order. Whenever I finally applied, um, they said, uh, we want a meeting with the pulpit committee. I met with them, had an interview, and I said, I'm not going to come to the church until um, you say it's time for me to candidate because I didn't want to go and you know be an applicant and then be there in the services and trying to manipulate people. I don't want there to be anything said like that. So we just disappeared. And uh, a month and a half later, they started announcing that uh, um, the Matoyas are going to candidate, but the Matoya will. They, they said, we want to um, extend the invitation to candidate. And so um, they had to announce it for several weeks. It's in their bylaws. And I went and preached there um, all day last Sunday. And uh, Sunday school was question and answer time and that kind of thing. And that Sunday night after church, it was a 100% unanimous vote um, for us to come into the ministry. And so we praise God that and so we set out to do a work and God had other things in plan and uh, someone said this once um, about God and moving by faith when God moves you need to move and we knew that God wanted us to move to Albuquerque and we knew he wanted us to move early to Albuquerque and had we not been there and settled in Albuquerque the way we were 
there would not have been the opportunity for me to preach those times for the Spirit of God to speak to the church. And so it was all in God's timing, and I'm thankful that we have a God that's in control, um, a word that we don't use often, but I'm thankful for the sovereignty of God, amen, that God knows what He's doing, when He's doing it, how He's doing it. And looking back, had we taken the ministry on several years ago, um, there were some battles that would have been extremely big that uh, um, we had had to deal with, and uh, God handled all those things from then to now, and it's like a fresh slate. And so we're so thankful for that place. And I'll say this, I'm thankful for Valley Bible Baptist Church because you sent us out by faith. Um, you've been our sending church and supporting church and you've prayed for us. You've loved us, uh, given to us. And uh, But God has that in store. And so we're so thankful for that opportunity to be out there. And I'll say this much, and I, whenever they ask, they say, what's your vision? And I said, well, here's the thing, the, the real Grand Valley there in Albuquerque from pretty much Bernalillo down to Los Lunas and all the way to um, Edgewood and out to um, um, Rio Rancho, there's half of New Mexico lives in that valley. Um, and our goal isn't just to pastor a church in the South Valley, though that is our goal. Um, we want to reach Albuquerque. Amen. Albuquerque, a million people live in that area. And uh, so we, we have a big vision for that. So just pray that God will bless and, uh, and work and so forth. And um, we're just thankful for that opportunity to serve and thankful to be sent out of this church. I consider it an honor to be sent out of this church. I just truly consider it an honor um, to have Valley Bible Baptist Church as the church that ordained me and uh, sent us out, and uh, we're so thankful for that. Just as far as prayer requests and prayer needs, um, pray. Just you know, We're going to be going to some church planting conferences and raising some funds. Um, we went to a church planting conference several years ago. I've talked about those um, conferences before, and one of the things that you see in those conferences, it's not just church planters that are there but also people that are there to um, raise support because they've taken on a struggling church. Um, Real Grand Baptist Church in its heyday would average between 250 and 300 people. Um, last Sunday when the church body voted for us, um, there was act an active 27 voters um, from 250 down to that. And so um, there's a need there, and, and the church isn't able to fully support us financially. They do have housing and uh, utilities that they'll cover for us, and so we praise God for that. So I will need to be bivocational and so forth, but at the same time, um, our goal is to get off of that as quick as possible, but we will be raising some funds. And so at that church planning conference, one of the themes was um, people that were raising funds to take on a work just like ours, and Brother Davison would get up and he would make this statement, he would say, are we going to wait for this church to die before we get interested in sending someone to go preach the gospel? Um, of course not. Um, there's a willing people who own a building, and there's a willing pastor with his family. Um, let's get behind them and help them get on their feet. And so we're going to go to these conferences. There's two of them, one in January and one in March. I ask that you pray for us as we go to them, that God will be able to raise us some funds for um, a year's worth of support, I think, is sufficient. And uh, there, there's buildings. There's, I mean, everything we need. It's just we need to get out and reach some people. So just pray that God will um, do that work. And so we're excited about it. Um, pray also for the house that we're in. Um, it does need to be, um, there's some remodeling that needs done, and so we're just trying to get that taken care of before we move in and so forth and so we're cleaning and dusting and my wife said she's I don't mind dirt I just don't want other people's dirt on us amen and so you know how that is it's an old house and dust and everything else and so we're going through cleaning everything and we walk in and it looks like a cabin it's like I'm not living in the mountains but it looks like a cabin I I could do that and we had a candle burning that smelled like pine and I said man this is I love this amen this is a blessing and so we're thankful so let's open our Bibles this evening to the book of Psalms Psalm 100 
141, Psalm 141 tonight. And we're going to read the first two verses by way of introduction, and then we'll break apart some of these verses here this evening. We're going to be dealing with the topic of prayer. And in particular, the title of this is Prayer That Pleases God. Prayer That Pleases God. And so Psalm 141, let's read the first two verses. We'll pray and then we'll um, examine this a little more. But Psalm 141, beginning in verse number one, the Bible says, Lord, I cry unto thee, make haste unto me. Let me just say, doesn't that sound a little bold there? Make haste unto me, God, hurry up and listen, is almost what he's saying. So Psalm 141, again, verse one, Lord, I cry unto thee, make haste unto me. Give ear unto my voice when I cry unto thee. Let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. And let's go to the Lord in prayer here this evening. Father, as we come to you, Lord, I thank you, God, for just how you work, Lord. I thank you for just what you've done in our own family. And as we set out to, to preach the gospel in the South Valley and in Albuquerque, God, I pray that you would bless that work, but I thank you, God, for this ministry here. God, for this church body and its pastor and his wife and the children and, God, just the, the faithful members that are here, Lord, the staff. And, and God, just uh, to be sent out of a church like this, I consider it a great honor and privilege and joy. And, God, I pray that you'd bless this church for its faithfulness to, to you and your word. God, for its faithfulness to preaching the gospel and not only preaching it, but sending out preachers, uh, such as our family and, God, other missionaries that are supported. And, God, I pray that you'd bless this time together now, Lord, that you take your word and work in our hearts. And, God, I'm excited about what's going on. I know this church is excited. God, we're just so thankful for, for what you do and how you do. And, God, how you're in control of these things. And so, God, we come to you asking that you would just bless now. We love you. We thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As you read this passage of Scripture, it's, it's obvious this is a, a psalm of David. When you read in, in your Bible and the Psalms, it often gives a little introduction right under the, the, the chapter number, but also right above the, the verse, and it just says a psalm of David. So often when you read these psalms, it gives a little more detail about David, like when he's running from Absalom or, or running from Saul or, or in a cave, but it just makes a statement, a psalm of David. Um, as we know in the Bible, um, David was a man after God's own heart. And David was a man who walked with God. And, and David had a lot of trials in his life. And a lot of these trials that he dealt with and the, the issues that he had was really because of people who were evil trying to work against him. That, that's what it was. Most of the time was someone who didn't love the Lord or didn't love him and they had spite or vengeance or some kind of personal vendetta and they were working out against David. And so David many times would come to the Lord in need of help because of the situation that he was dealing with. And as he makes the statement, as you read, he says, Lord, I cry unto thee. He's, he's crying out to God, but he, he makes a statement in verse 2 that just, it struck me a little different here. He says, let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. And, and when you read the Old Testament, you find that when people sacrifice unto God, that there were times when God was not pleased with the sacrifice. 
I think of King Saul, whenever he had his first battle and God had told him to um, just utterly destroy everything and not to bring anything back, but yet King Saul brought back uh, things that were not pleasing to the Lord and, and the prophet came and said, well, what's the bleeding of the sheep? Why do I hear this, these animals? You're supposed to destroy everything. And he says, well, well the people. And, and then he said, well, we brought them to sacrifice. And, and he said, look, God's not pleased with that sacrifice. Obedience is better than sacrifice. That's where you get that in the Bible in the book of 1 Samuel. And you find that a sacrifice was offered and God wasn't pleased with it. But then you find other times when God is pleased with the sacrifice. And so David cries out and he's saying, God, I'm praying to you and I want my prayer to be accepted like a sacrifice that is accepted. And that, that brings the thought here is, when we pray, have we ever considered, is my prayer pleasing to God? It wasn't enough that God would hear his cry. He wanted God to be pleased with his prayer. I would like to ask us, do we spend time with God to please ourselves? Or do we spend time with God to please God? As we face difficulties, and our prayer is often a, a cry of a desperation in need of God, we should consider whether or not our prayer truly is pleasing to God. While sometimes God will not hear our prayer, I have often wondered um, maybe the reason why I have an unanswered prayer is because I've prayed in a way that was selfish. In looking at the psalm, I must ask myself, am I only praying to please myself or to please God? David said, I want my prayer to be like a sacrifice that is well received of the Lord. And so when we deal with prayer, I'm going to give you some quotes here tonight about prayer, and then we'll continue looking on here. Um, John R. Rice made the statement regarding prayer. Every failure is a prayer failure. That makes you think, do I pray about everything? Hudson Taylor made the statement, Do not work so hard for Christ that you have no strength to pray. For prayer requires strength. You know, I think about that just even today and in all that's going on in the church, that there's a lot of things that we have to deal with um, in the church there as we look forward. It's, it's you know, 3.7 acres, there's buildings, there's houses. I mean, God has blessed us um, in that ministry. There's, I mean, an auditorium that will hold, you know, 100 people in there and Sunday school rooms, classrooms for what used to be a Christian school, a gymnasium. Praise God, we got a gymnasium. I mean, I'm excited about that. And, and I see all these things and what we need to work on. And I look around, and I, I've walked the property several times and I, I've looked at all these things and, and there's a level of, um, of a burden that comes upon me as I look and I say we need to do this, we need to do this, we need to do this and it's, I'll be honest, it's easy for me to go and tackle those things at least in comparison to going to the office and getting down on my knees and just wrestling with God and praying and asking Him what do you want me to do about these things because the easy thing is to try to work it but it really is it God's will at the time to work. There's so many factors in the situation and I have to stop and ask myself, um, am I truly laboring for the Lord? And let me say this, laboring with God in prayer is not a waste of time. It's not a waste of time. As it's been said of Abraham Lincoln, um, if he had eight hours to chop a tree down, he would spend six hours sharpening the axe. Um, you think about that. Uh, how much work do we do with a dull axe? versus time that we could spend with God. And so you look at David, he did a lot for the Lord, but it's very obvious he prayed. Another statement regarding prayer, um, true prayer is measured by weight, 
not by length. A single groan before God may have more fullness of prayer in it than a fine oration of great length. Groanings which cannot be uttered are often prayers which cannot be refused. I like that. Amen. And whenever you don't know what to say, um, God knows what you're trying to say. Praise God for that. Um, Charles Spurgeon made the statement, I would rather teach one man to pray than ten men to preach. You think about that. One man to pray more than ten men to preach. Even the twelve understood the need and the importance of prayer when they walked with Jesus. You think about this, when Jesus was on the earth, they saw Jesus preach, they saw Jesus perform miracles, they saw Jesus raise the dead, they saw Jesus um, feed thousands of people, yet when they got alone with Christ, uh, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. There's power in prayer, and, and not that we didn't pray when we were here, but I look at the weight of what we have before us uh, as we step into this new journey, and, uh, and I have to say, I need God's touch in this. I need wisdom from God. I, I need God to do work. There's situations that are bigger than me. I need God to work. And, and so as I prepare to be a pastor, um, what came to the forefront of everything is this. I need to get serious about prayer. Again, not that I wasn't before, but uh, the, the bigger the weight, the, the greater the time is needed for prayer. And so God has just brought this to me. So what you're hearing tonight is the result of me just trying to seek the Lord about what to do in our new ministry. And so pray for us, amen, but prayer that pleases God. God is able to hear our prayer, but the question is this, will He hear our prayer? Isaiah 59, it says that God is able to, but He will not hear our prayer. Why? Because of our sin. So the rest of the psalm deals with justice and the fact that David needed God because of evildoers. And so, yes, David was in desperation. And while he truly needed God, he was more concerned with his entrance into prayer than the actual problem that he faced. Think about that. He faced some problems, but he is more concerned with how he came to God than the problems that he was dealing with. He said, Lord, let my prayer be set before thee as incense. And so hold your place there in the book of Psalms, and let's go back in our Bibles to uh, the book of Exodus chapter number 30, the book of Exodus and chapter 30, because he made mention about the, the incense and the evening sacrifice. And so Exodus chapter number 30, and... We're looking here at uh, how God had orchestrated the tabernacle and the, the holy of holies and the place of worship. And, and so he's giving them some instruction about the altar of incense. And so Exodus chapter 30, Genesis, Exodus, Exodus chapter 30. He's giving some instruction here and he's talking about the ark of the testimony. And, and so Exodus chapter 30, and we'll pick up in verse number 6. Exodus chapter 30 and verse number 6, it says, And thou shalt put it before the veil, that is by the ark of the testimony, before the mercy seat that is over the testimony. I love this, where I will meet with thee. Um, God meeting with his people. And, but you continue on, look at what it says here in verse 7. And Aaron shall burn thereon sweet incense every morning. When he dresseth the lamps, he shall burn incense upon it. 
And when Aaron lighted the lamps at even, this is the evening, it says, he shall burn incense upon it, a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. And so as they're, they're making ready the tabernacle and the sacrifices, and they would do this um, day after day after day, um, they, they would go in and they would burn this incense. They would burn it in the morning, and they would burn it at evening. And, and the Bible says that it would be a, a sweet savor to the Lord. Um, as you read throughout the Bible, that God was pleased with the burning of that incense. And David is saying the way that incense burns, and, and God is pleased with that. God, let my prayer be as incense he wants it to be accepted of the lord but you look at verse number six or verse number nine rather it says ye shall offer no strange incense thereon nor burnt sacrifice nor meat offering neither shall you pour drink offering thereon and, and he talks about this strange incense and i'm not going to go all the details of that but the simple fact is this that when it was looking at the incense he, he was saying there's an incense that, that is accepted, and there's a strange incense that isn't accepted. And, and as you look at that, there's one that is good and one that is bad, one that is accepted and one that is rejected. And when David was praying, he said, let my prayer be as incense. And he's, what he's saying is, God, I want my prayer to be pleasing to you. So you see here um, the, the desire to have a prayer that is pleasing God. Again, I want to ask us this evening, when we pray, have we ever considered the thought that maybe the way I'm praying, what I'm praying, how I'm praying, the spirit in which I'm praying isn't pleasing to the Lord? And maybe we ought to come to God and say, God, I'm coming to you. And God, I'm coming to you with, a, with an open heart to, to, to know what's in it and to try the reins. And God, I want the words that come out of my mouth and, and the meditation of my heart and, and the thoughts that I have and the desires that I'm bringing to you, God. I want you to be pleased with it the way the incense was pleasing to you in the Old Testament. So as you're there, let's go back to Psalm 141 now, Psalm 141. I just wanted to make reference of that because there was an incense that was pleasing to the Lord and an incense that was not pleasing to the Lord. And so when we consider that, could it be that there's prayer that we pray and God's just not pleased with it? And we wonder why God isn't answering. And so you look here at Psalm 141. We'll look at the first verse here and the second verse again. It says, Lord, I cry unto thee, Make haste unto me, give ear unto my voice when I cry unto thee. Let my prayer be set forth um, before thee as incense and the lifting up of mine hands as the evening sacrifice. And so that was all introduction. We'll get through this real quick. But the first thing we see here is his audience in prayer. Again, as mentioned, David needed God. And while we bring our burdens to each other for prayer and prayer request, we must recognize the fact that in such times, um, only God can help. See, his audience was the Lord. Now, Jesus Christ made the statement of the Sermon on the Mount that uh, they, they pray uh, to be seen of men, is, is what he said. That, that they, they're out in the corners and, and they're praying out loud and, and all that sort of thing. And, and have you ever heard a person pray? And sometimes you wonder, are they really praying um, to God or are they praying to, to impress the people? And, and you see that there. And Jesus said that you shouldn't pray like that. He said you ought to go to the closet and make your prayer. Andrew Murray made the statement regarding prayer. Oh, let the place of secret prayer become to me the most beloved spot on earth. Ian Bounds made the statement, Prayer is not to be learned in a classroom, but in the closet. I remember Brother Wilkins talking about prayer. And he believed that you literally 
should get in the closet and pray. Now, not just in the room. Or he's like, go in, go in the closet and pray. And, and he goes, you know why people don't like to go in the closet and pray? It's because it sounds weird hearing your voice in the closet. I remember talking about literally going into a closet and praying. And let me ask us this. Have we actually done that before? I know as we know, as our family, we pray and that kind of thing. And we gather in different rooms and we'll pray and that before we go to bed and before we go to school, we pray that God's favor would be upon us and he'd look on us and protect us and, and things like that. But going to a closet... There was a time I was preaching at a church in Rio Rancho Mesa Baptist Church, and, um, and I was doing some work for the pastor during the day, and I was going to preach that night, and uh, I went to some of the designs I'd made to, to say, is this okay? And I go and knock in the room, and, and uh, I don't hear him, and, and I, I, I knock again, and, and then I kind of, the door is open, so when I knocked, it kind of opened up, and, and um, the pastor comes out, and in his room, he had a bathroom, he had a sink, and he had a closet, and he came out of his closet. And, and I, I saw I didn't mean to interrupt you. He goes, oh, this is my prayer closet. It's okay. I'm available for you. And so I go back, and I ended up going in there a couple times. And he said, just come in and get me. Don't knock on the door. Just come in and get me. I may not hear your knock. And he was in his closet praying. And, and, and I, I got a peek in there. And in that closet, it was a white wall. And there was names written all over that wall. And those were all the people that he was praying. He literally had a closet set up in his office just to pray. And I said, man, that, that's amazing. And I, I never seen that before. I mean, this preacher took it literal. Um, he's, and he's, he's about to retire and, and that kind of thing. And I often look at the blessing of God that's on that church. And I, I really attribute a lot of it to just a man having a closet and going back there and praying and seeking God. And so I say that as, to as say this, that as we look at prayer, we have an audience with the Lord. Now you think about that. Have you tried to, to get a hold of a person? I heard a preacher once um, talking about all these mega church preachers, and they say, you know, these mega church preachers, they're so hard to get by, um, you can't even touch them. That you, can get, you could even get closer to Jesus than you could to some of these mega church preachers, because at least the woman was able to touch the hem of his garment, and some of these preachers, you can't even get a hold of them, that kind of thing. But you know, you're trying to get a hold of somebody, trying to get a hold of, of a boss or, or someone up in, high up in, in the chain of command in a business or, or whatever the case may be, and you're trying to get a hold of them, and there's, you know, you got a call, and there's a secretary, and the secretary has to put you on a calendar and there's all these hoops you got to get through in order to talk to, to the head of the heads there. And yet, we have God Almighty that we can come to and pray. And we don't have to set an appointment. And we don't have to go through a secretary. We don't have to go wait in an office. You say, what can I do? Go to a closet, amen, and go and seek the Lord. And we, we have an audience with God himself, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of this universe. Um, he, he's so big that the world can't contain him, yet he loves us so much that he, he's just a prayer away. We have an audience with God himself. I'm thankful. That we can come and pray. The, the audience that we have with the Lord. And so he's saying, Lord, Lord, I cry unto thee. He's crying out to God there. And, and you see here the audience with the Lord. But then we see the acceptance of his prayer. Let's look again at verse 2. And we'll read a little further down. It says, let my prayer be set before thee as, an ins as incense and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. We'll read the next two verses. He says, set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. Incline not my heart to any evil thing to practice wicked works with men that work iniquity. Let me not eat of their dainties. And so 
we ask about how can my prayer be acceptable? Well, we see the heart of a man who wanted his prayer to be accepted. Again, we find here um, this, this place of, of, of purity, if you would. The sacrifices that were offered unto the Lord were pure sacrifices. Whenever you look at the, the sacrifices in general, um, a male without spot, without blemish, the Passover, you, you see that there and, and you see just the, the perfection nearly that was required of these sacrifices, how pure they needed to be. And so he said, I want my prayer to be like this incense. But at the end of verse 2, he, he said there, talking about the lifting up of his hands as the evening sacrifice. And so that's dealing with more than just the incense, that's dealing with actual sacrifices. And when you read the book of Exodus and you read the book of Leviticus, you find it um, very plain that uh, the, the sacrifices were to be a pure sacrifice. And he said, I want my prayer to be pure, like those pure sacrifices. When comparing his cry um, to offerings, we see David compare his prayer to atonement. Atonement deals with God being pleased. It's a place where one has done wrong, but through sacrifice they are covered. The New Testament Christian no longer looks to a sacrifice offered by another man. Praise God. Rather, um, we have been accepted and covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. Aren't you thankful for that? Now we can come boldly. That's why he had that audience. So he, he knew he could come to God because he was covered. Let me say this. We can come to God because if you're saved, you've been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so you see here that we can come boldly and find help in the time of need as Hebrews chapter 4 talks about. And so you see here, this is a place of purity as a result of atonement. Jesus made that atonement for us. We can come to God, not, our own, not in our own strength, in our own merit, uh, not in our own character even, but in the blood of Jesus Christ and what He's done for us. We have access. But it's one thing to, to be covered and atoned for. And some people would say, well, that means I can do whatever I want and pray. That's why David continued on dealing with prayer because verses 3 and 4. Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. Uh, he, he's saying, look at God, I don't want to say things that are not pleasing to you. And, and, and the idea of a door, um, in this particular case, is, is a door that swings both ways. Um, it could open up this way, and it could open up that way. You ever see doors that can go both ways? Um, we, we had those in our church in Taos. Uh, we had the doors where there was the foyer, and then we had that little airlock, as they would say, and then the doors would swing either way. So if uh, there was a fire, we could bust out one way, but then people can come in um, the regular way. And so we had it can go either way. And let me say this. Our mouth can go one way or another. The Bible talks about our mouth being able to bless and to curse, to be bitter and to be sweet. And it says that our mouth ought not to be that way. Our mouth ought to, to speak uh, blessings and, and to be that of sweetness, not bitter and angry and hateful and, and, and so forth and gossip. And, and you can go on and on about these things. And so saying, God, I, I want my door. Um, I, I want you to watch it and I want you to keep it so that my door um, opens the right way. Not the wrong way. That my mouth opens the right way. Not the wrong way. So you see this purity that's there because of, of the atonement of the Lord. But then you see this purity that's there because he, he said, God, I want you to guard my mouth and to keep it. Uh, he goes on to say in verse 4, Incline not mine heart to any evil thing. Again, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So if his heart's right, the mouth's going to be right as well. Incline not my heart um, to any evil thing, verse 4, uh, to practice wicked works with men that work iniquity, and let me not eat of their dainties. 
And it's funny, you know, the Bible talks about whose God is their belly. You'd be surprised um, what wicked things people will do for some food. I mean, just in general, just in life. I mean, it's just how it is and so forth. But you look at this and he's saying, look at God, I, I want a pure mouth. I want you to, to, to be pleased with my prayer, so I need to have a pure mouth as I pray to you. I want you to be pleased with my prayer, Lord, so I need a pure heart. I, I, I want the motives of my heart as I pray to be pure. So God, incline not my heart to any evil thing. And it's talking about an incline and a decline. And you ever um, have been a, ever been in a house that uh, doesn't have a, a good foundation and it kind of leans a little bit? When we lived up in Taos, the first house we lived in, um, the kitchen uh, kind of the, went like this. And Elissa was just a baby, and she'd be there, and, you know, kids spill things and that kind of stuff, and something would fall over, and uh, get, a, get a towel real quick, why? Because it's going to go straight to the bottom, to this one corner, and then it's get down to the bottom if there's milk, and you don't want it to go bad, and there, you know, so we're right away scrambling for a towel. So why? Because it inclined one way. And, and, and he's saying, look, I don't want my heart to incline to any evil thing. I don't want to just be um, lean towards something that's wicked. God, I want you to lean me to the things that are right, and to to the things that are holy and to the things that please you, God. I don't want my heart to, to lean toward the things that are evil and wrong, and I don't want to even go with the people that do those things. I don't want to be tempted by them. So God, um, keep my heart pure as I pray unto you, Lord. I, I want a pure mouth, God, as I pray unto you. I want a, a pure heart. And so you see, um, as we look at this, the, the audience he has, he's praying to God. Um, the acceptance of his prayer comes from, from purity, a, a pure heart and, and a pure um, mouth. And then you see here the attention of his prayer. We're going to look over a few things here, but, or skip over a few things. Let's look at verse number 8 here. Verse number 8. He says, But mine eyes are unto thee, O God the Lord. In thee is my trust. Leave not my soul destitute. So in, the, in, the, in between verses, he's talking about the evildoers and, and things like that. And, and we're not going to deal with that tonight. Just the idea of, of his prayer life in particular so you see that he had his audience with the Lord. You see that the acceptance of his prayer came from purity, a pure mouth and a pure heart, a pure sacrifice, if you would, but his attention. He says, mine eyes are unto thee. Isn't it interesting that sometimes we pray, and then when God answers our prayer, it surprises us? <laughs> I mean, like, didn't we ask for it, and God gave it? Why are we surprised that he gave it to us? Eileen and I were talking about this as we were cleaning up the house and, and that kind of stuff and you know, parked in the driveway and we said, it just, this just doesn't seem real. It, just, it doesn't seem real that I, I'm a pastor. I'm the pastor of Real Grand Baptist. It just doesn't seem real. And as I was reading this and thinking, it's like, I mean, we asked for this. We asked for it. Several times we asked for it. We've asked for it a lot. Um, and here it is. Why are we surprised about it? And I look at that and I say, man, you know, man, I'm a human just like the rest of us. Amen. But you look at that and have you ever gone in your life and looked back and the things you have now you prayed for? Have you ever thanked God for those things that he's done for us? And I mean, the things we have now, there was a time when we prayed for those things. And yet I look at that and it shouldn't surprise us when God answers our prayer, but yet it does. And so when we read this passage, David's not asking and forgetting. David's not asking and then later on saying, man, I didn't know God was going to give that to me. I mean, he asked and he says, my eyes 
are on God. I am asking Him, and I'm watching Him, and I'm waiting for Him to give me what I've asked. And whenever God answered His prayer, let me say this, it probably wasn't a surprise to David. We were just talking with one of the, the there's a widow lady that, that lives on the property there at the church at Rio Grande, and, and she was talking about something. Uh, she, she said one time, just in passing, she said, you know what, Lord, I'd like to have a piano. And she just kind of just left it. And several weeks later, God gave her a piano. And it was about a week and a half later after that, and God told her, you know what, you only asked me one time, and you didn't even thank me for it. And I look at that, and, I, and she's, she's telling us that, saying, you know, man, God, forgive me. And, and I look at that, you know, how many times have we done that? And yet, when I look at David, he asked, and he just kept on watching God, waiting, expecting God to answer that prayer. And whenever we pray, do we keep our attention on the Lord? Do, do we keep our eye on Him? God, I'm waiting for you. God, you're working, and I'm watching. I'm expecting you to do something. Do we not pray in faith? Um, if we do... Um, it's not wrong to expect God to answer our prayer. If, if we don't expect Him to answer our prayer, why do we even ask? Honestly, why do we even ask? David didn't have the heart, and he wasn't being presumptuous. He, he wasn't uh, being, being uh, irreverent to the Lord. He, he just said, God is my Father. I have a need. God, I'm asking you for my need, and I expect you to meet that need. God, and it's that simple, but yet, for some reason, we don't expect God to answer our prayer. Um, oh, ye of little faith, including me as well. Um, how little faith do we have, but yet David... His attention was on God. His eyes were on the Lord. Um, he was expecting God to do something. When we pray, do we really expect God to work? Or is it just vain repetition? Or is it just going through the motions? We, we, we hear a challenging message. We're stirred in our heart. Uh, and we come down and pray. And, and when we pray, we may even have good intentions and even emotional about it. But yet when we get up and leave, our prayer stays right there. Or do we expect God and we keep on asking God? And the Bible uses the word importunity. Whenever I was in the school, we went through word building, or is in high school, so etymology is what they called it. And, and the word importunity was there. And I, I was drawing a blank. You know, I wasn't raised in church. I didn't know the sermons that Jesus preached about importunity. I was learning all the stuff as a baby Christian. And there I was uh, taking my test. And, and Brother Wooten walked by, and I raised my hand. And I said, I'm stuck on this one. And he said, what's that, importunity? He goes, you don't know what importunity is? You know, he's like, you should know that. Jesus preached about it. He says, what, what do you think it is? I said, uh, the ability to import? <laughs> That's what I thought it was. And, and, and he said, well, kind of. You ask God and he imports what you need. Amen. And I said, good enough for me. And I wrote it down. He gave me half a point. Amen for that. But I look at that and we ask, do we ask and ask and ask? Expecting God to work. Not asking and leaving it there. Maybe we ask and we're stirred, but we really don't believe it's going to happen. Deep down inside our heart of hearts, we don't have that faith. David said, look, I'm praying, and my eyes are on God. I'm going to ask Him, and I'm going to watch, and I'm going to wait, and I'm going to expect, and I'm trusting God that He will do something. He says, God, leave not my soul destitute. He's looking at Him, and He's watching Him in desperation, saying, God, I'm putting it all on you, God. You need to do this work. And he's trusting that God will do the work because, because he says in verse 8, in thee is my trust. God, I'm trusting you. And so as we, we think about prayer this evening, have we considered whether or not our prayer is acceptable 
to the Lord here as that incense. And so you see the audience in prayer. He's praying out to God. You see the acceptance of his prayer. It's out of a place of, of purity. Um, it was a pure prayer because he had a pure mouth and a pure heart. Um, and then you see the attention of his prayer. After he was done praying, he kept his eyes on the Lord and he kept on watching and he expected God to do something. Do you expect God to do something when you pray? Because if you don't, why even pray? So let's get serious about our prayer here tonight. And so with that, let's go to the Lord. Father.